Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. But, uh, you know, just like just like gardening anywhere, it's, it's a constant experiment and you, you learn and you try to take some notes and then be able to find your notes the next year so you can you know, not make the same mistake a second time, which uh, I'm not very good at doing. Is like always, I'm always you know, trying to say, all right, yeah, by Valentine's Day, I need to plant my tomatoes. And usually it's about the, the second or third of March that I'm planting them. And then they're always, you know, a couple of weeks from being ready before uh, before it gets too hot in the summertime. So it's. That's from my interview number 162 with Denny Cray, which is a great listen. He talks all about vermiculture. Hey, everyone. So I just want to remind you, this is the most important time to be taking good notes on what's working well, what's not working well, what don't you want to forget come next February and March when it's time to order supplies or do your design you know, what are your favorite seeds or what do you want to plant more of? Do you want more broccoli? Like you might think I am never going to forget this, but you probably are going to forget it. And, um, a great way to support the green organic gardener podcast, um, would be to get our garden journal. That's got a beautiful butterfly that I took a picture of on our lilac. So it's like a little part of our home and your home. It's got blank pages and line pages, and, um, it would really support us a lot. Um, so, but most of all, we want you to have good. Welcome to the green organic garden. Today is Friday, August 7th, 2020. And I am super excited to bring my guest on today. She has a podcast and she's going to talk to us about all sorts of cool things, not just gardening, but some nutrition things that I know you're going to love to learn. And so from simple roots wellness, here is Alexa Sherm. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's so fun to talk to another podcaster. So go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I um, live in the middle of rural Iowa and um, I just kind of said farming is kind of in our pores and it just seeps out of us. But really I am a nutritionist. I have a passion for understanding the foods that we eat and how they affect our body and just really trying to get to the root of the issue and not, not just putting people in a box and saying like, this is the only way, but truly understanding the need of our body, how it was designed and how we can provide for that on an individual and realistic approach. Cause I don't think anyone's here for another box diet plan, um, that maybe works or doesn't work. So just trying to open up to some kind of freedom and see ourselves And what I'm so pumped about being here is I just have such a a passion for helping people understand food, how it's grown and just what it can do inside the body. And it's funny because like we were having some tech problems and I sent the wrong Zoom link or something and I was going through her website and I can't believe how much I learned in just like a few minutes. Like, thank you. um, The thing about the DNA and how that can make a difference. And I also like, I keep hearing about these Enneagram things. Like what the heck is Enneagram? (laughs) So it's like a personality test. And um, they say it's one of the oldest. So I feel like the Enneagram must have been a really popular thing and really well studied. One of the most studied personality tests there are. And then it kind of went away for a period of time. and, And now it's coming back up. And so basically you can take these tests and understand kind of where your personality lies. And it's not just about your work or it's not, I mean, it kind of takes the entire scope about how you're functioning from your greatest fears to your greatest motivations. 
and helps you to understand yourself. The thing I really like about it is that it doesn't just label you. It's not like, here's your ENFJ or whatever, you know, like those letters. Um, I forget what type, what personality that type is or whatever that's called, but it takes you and it allows you to also learn. I lost you. And that. We didn't watch. Well, maybe the recorder got it, but I lost that last sentence. Okay. I also am recording this on my side so I can um, oh, okay, send it cool. to you on my side too. Just so okay. you can patch them together if you want to, but I can go back and say that again. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So the Enneagram is one of the oldest personality types and it has been around forever and it's actually one of the most studied. And I know there's a lot of other personality types. I can't even think about what they're named. Like the, do you know what I'm talking about with like the letters? Like it's like you're an ENFJ or an IS. Oh, like the strength finder. Yeah. Kind of something like that. So there's a I lot of, there's other lots ones. of those personality types. There's yeah. like the, what's your name? Gretchen Rubin's. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so the Enneagram is like, it's not just specific to how you work in business or relationships. This takes in like your entire life and understands basically what is your underlying fear and therefore what are your motivations? Because we all have like this oh. underlying fear that motivates us forward. Um, and then it also shows you like, if this is your Enneagram, but here's where you move in health. So like, if you're really functioning in a healthy version of you, you'll probably move to a different number. Or if you're super stressed, you'll move to an, another number as well. Oh, um, that's what I was wondering. How does this tie into nutrition and health? Because that's where yeah. I keep seeing it all over the place. Yeah. So like I, I started doing it for health because I understand on some level that we can tell people all the time what they should be doing, but getting someone to do it is a totally different story, right? Most of us have the knowledge about what we should be doing on a, you know, no matter how much knowledge that is. But I feel like I know. Well, look at me. Like I live in this organic oasis and I struggle as much, if not more than everybody. Yeah. So I look at it as an Enneagram as like, okay, if I can get people to understand who they are as a human and see themselves, not for all these things they should be doing outside themselves, but to truly understand who they are and where they're working from, then we can start to see like, oh, that's why meal planning doesn't work for you because that's not in your personality. Like that's not a part of who you are as a human, but this might work for you. So it's like understanding and allowing I think it's breaking the mold of like, this is what the health recommendations are. And it's understanding for you what works for you based on your, your motivations, your driving force, and ultimately what your fear, your, like your, your underlying fear is. So I use the Enneagram and I've broken down different personalities and then I help people to understand. And I, again, this is relatively you know, there's eight Enneagram number or sorry, nine Enneagram numbers. And so I've broken down like these guides that say like, here are some helpful tips that maybe would work for you. Or here's, you know, some, the, some things that might benefit you in times of stress. So like just trying to give more recommendations that are outside of like the status quo that really hopefully resonate with people. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you haven't heard about the Enneagrams, I'm sure you're going to be hearing about them soon. I know they're everywhere. They seem they to really be everywhere. Are. Some people are like, days. I'm so annoyed by it, but I'm like, <laughs> I get it, but it can really like it really, I'm not one that's like so into that stuff, but the more I started to learn about myself, honestly, it was a huge act of healing 
Because again, I think we live in this world that so much of change has to come from outside of us. You know, like it's like we, we, um, we work so like uh, exercise and diet and, you know, we have all these things we should be doing, but I feel like there's such a disconnect from who we actually are. And I feel like that's one of the big reasons why so many people don't change is because we're, we're living outside of our intended design. Um, and we're not owning ourselves in some way. We're trying to live outside. Of yeah. Our right. Right. We're, we're working. We're exhausted. And we're using other people's like, like, what does John say? Compare and despair. You can't compare yourself to where somebody else is. So, but Alexa, I do always start the show asking about your very first gardening experience. It sounds like you were probably a kid, but like, who were you with? What'd you grow? Yeah. Well, this is funny. Um, so one of the things that gave me a passion for health was actually gardening. And I had no idea you were going to ask me these questions, but I had an aunt and she owned a pumpkin farm and she grew like her mission with the pumpkin farm was not like the experience of what you see a lot of pumpkin farms. It was truly like squash varieties. So she was known as like the squash lady and she had over 50 different varieties every fall that she would grow. And um, and raise and sell. And my first experience of gardening, honestly, was just, I, I helped her from a very young age. You know, we planted all the seeds by hand. We hoed the fields. And this, these were big fields, right? Because she had tons and tons of people coming. And we would hoe it all that, and then we would go out and wow. pick it. So I was really able from a young age to understand what it took to grow food. Like what it, and I think that's part of living in Iowa is like, we live for farmers, right? Like we live based on the seasons and that is ingrained in us, you know, like living here in Eastern Iowa in a small rural community that's farming based is like, we're very aware of what it takes to do that. So my first experience was honestly at like a, a, a rather large pumpkin patch and um, just being able to, to see that whole experience come to life. And I loved it. Like I loved it. I, honestly, I'll tell you something that I probably never said on any other podcast. If I was not in nutrition, I would have been, um, I, I would have loved to have a nursery and greenhouses and, and do that whole thing. So do you have a tip for growing squashes? Something that makes them uh, grow or like one of the questions I get all the time is what do I do about squash beetles? Yeah. So she had, uh, we, I mean, squash beetles are very real, right? I think for her, it was the space in which she planted them. I think, okay, now that I have a garden of my own, I have more raised beds. I feel like that's a huge detriment to, and I, I have no knowledge of if this is real or not. So you'll have to help me out. I feel like raised beds are a huge detriment to our viney crops. So what I mean by that is like when she planted squash, it was in a huge field, right? And like we could only plant squash so close together, which everyone did. But the, the rows in between the squash were big enough to put a, a rototiller between, like a decent sized, like she would drive like almost like a tractor through there to kind of get those weeds in between, but I feel like the distance in which she planted just because she had the room. But I think when we, and then what I've tried is like, when I try to put these viney things in my raised beds, they never produce and it draws all these insects to it. I don't know if I'm making any sense or if that helps. 
Um, well, certainly I have had guests say, like, be prepared, think about how big this plant is going to grow. And squash definitely take a huge amount of room. A and huge then, amount of room for what you get on a plant. Yeah. And you know, also, like, yeah. also, like, one of the big things is, like, it can get really nasty in there, like, moldy mm-hmm. and, like, stuff. You don't want stuff touching the ground. And, like, so yeah. I think a lot of what you're saying can be true um and I mean like there I mean it was planted in a field like any other crop in Iowa and so it was not watered like it was not irrigated you know like it came from the rain so one thing that we did learn is that if it was a really wet year later in the year so say come August and September if it was really rainy that always ruined the crop like it was never as good so it's almost like it liked that dryness of what our season here in Iowa is it tends to dry out more at the end of July August September um and if we got a lot of rain like even the pumpkins would rot I mean they just wouldn't they wouldn't do as well um I mean she had Valium so it so it worked out for her um another thing though that she did is she was very 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 particular about where she ordered seed from um I don't think like going to uh a big box store and buying squash seeds is probably like the most ideal situation if you want to get a good squash crop. Awesome. Well, I think those are all sorts of golden seeds for our listeners. <laughs> and it's interesting because we're sitting here right now, like in super dry territory. And like, I've been talking to some people who live on the East side where they're doing dry crop um, growing. And like Patty Armbruster came here and visited my house and was telling my she's like we had like this my husband has what I call the mini farm and like there was this one corner in the mini farm where there were like some rose bushes like he hadn't got to yet it hasn't been like this is a very small corner and she's like you should just put squash plants there and like even if you don't get squashes from them it'll be good like you know green material like a cover crop and it will she said it would like basically get rid of those rose bushes or whatever they are that are growing there for him Uh just as like a cover crop and so we actually put some squashes there so yeah um that's good to know that that is like a dry land type of cover crop as we are struggling so hard at my house to keep everything moist our fruit trees are just I can see the leaves curling and yesterday or not yesterday the day before I gave them each um 10 gallons of water like I filled up a five gallon water bucket twice and then I didn't have enough water to water my regular garden at the end of the night like I ran out of water and we have this is a 560 foot well that I paid $20,000 for. And I'm just like, where are you from? Where are you, where are you out of? We're in Northwest Montana. Oh yeah. You're really dry. Yeah. We're very dry. Fortunately, knock on wood, it clouded up and I don't know if it rained last night, but it's at least it's cloudy and gave us a break from the heat. Like our high today, I think is going to be 80 or 77 or something. Yeah. Because yeah, see, we're here really in Iowa. Hot. We have that very rich farm ground. So yeah, we, we have a little not. bit more, we're a little bit more blessed in that it, it yeah. does tend to just produce better. I mean, that's why the whole state is pretty much cropped. <laughs> uh, huh. Well, this is so fascinating that you're the first guest from Iowa. I just can't even yeah. fathom how that could be. Well, so uh, tell us about something that grew well in your garden this year. Um, my tomatoes went crazy and I've been sharing on Instagram which is hilarious is that they didn't really leaf out they looked really mangy and I've never experienced this before I have no idea what happened 
but the tomatoes, it's like, you know, have you, I don't know, like we've always heard, like if, if the plant produces a lot, the fruit tends to not be as good, you know, because it's like where the nutrients go. Um, I don't know if there's any validity to anything I say when it comes to gardening. This is just me, my thoughts, but the leaves were just like mangy looking like bad. And I was worried they weren't going to produce. There's mass amounts of beautiful tomatoes and they're delicious. And it just keeps producing tomatoes regardless of how few leaves are on it. Like you would be appalled. I I will send you a picture after this. You will be appalled to see how ridiculous my tomato plants look, but how many tomatoes are on them. Oh, but that's so interesting because I'm having the total opposite problem. Like our tomato plants are huge and bushy and I do not have a lot of tomatoes on yeah. them. Yeah. Like, I was just looking back at this guest that I had who had talked about um, in August, if you like in, because we have such a short season, if you want to try to get your tomatoes to turn to ripen, stop watering them in August. She was like, like cut back for the first yeah. two weeks and then the last two weeks. And so I was thinking about that, but like our tomatoes aren't even close to big enough. Like they're still just mm. teeny tiny tomatoes. Like I wouldn't want them to start turning red because they need to grow. But I wonder if that's the problem is that the plants are putting too much. Like maybe I should cut some of that greenery off or something. My husband, yeah, we what are you doing? <laughs> we rarely, like I would never water my garden ever. Wow, that's amazing. I, but I don't know if it's because we get, like, generally speaking, when we plant in May, usually July or June's a pretty wet month. But then, like, we haven't had rain here in three weeks. And I still don't water it. And I don't know if it's the concept of, like, in Iowa, we don't irrigate our crops. So it's not, like, we. it's just, like, you know, we see that more in Nebraska or South Dakota or whatever. Maybe in western Iowa where it tends to be a little bit drier. But, like, here you just don't irrigate your crops. So you just don't see a lot of people who, like, I'll water my flowers, but I won't water my garden. And so I don't oh, know, my gosh. That's true. so like, weird. Maybe it is true. Like, I, the, the tomatoes for us have been in full bloom for three weeks now. Um, but maybe it is just dry. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's just weird. Like we just don't water our garden. I mean, granted, it, there probably is a time and a place, but I grew up again on the, on the farm of like, when we see even people who are growing CSAs, you know, like big, big gardens to share, they're not watering any, like really anything once it's wow. in the ground. This is yeah. so interesting. Well, tell us about something you're excited to try different next year or something new you're going to try that you haven't done before. Okay. I have the hardest time with cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower. Never have I had a, a successful crop. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but it tends to go right to flower instead of like producing that head. Well, I think broccoli anyway for sure are cool weather crops so maybe you're just putting the seeds in too late and that's why they're bolting when it's too hot i'm so excited because i just planted my very first broccoli seeds ever and they're like two three inches tall and we just moved them down to the garden to put in for a fall crop because we're gonna Ah. see that works better because a lot of our broccoli did flower i mean we've gotten a lot of broccoli this year like regular broccoli but a lot of it is has flowered because it's been so hot. Um, The one thing about the flowers, it's interesting. I did this interview with this girl from a podcast called the flower lounge. Mm -hmm. And like, she has this book and it has like these worksheets and she's like, all right, like what flower in your garden, like walk around your garden. And like, I was like, I'm relating to those broccoli flowers Mm -hmm. and the bees are loving the broccoli flowers. So 
even if I didn't get as much broccoli out of it as I wanted, it's, um, they're really yeah. pretty. Yeah. And the bees are totally loving them. Yeah, the bees do love them. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, how about, so I guess that would kind of come under something that didn't work so well, huh? Uh, yeah. I mean, and something that I just need to, I plan it and then I'm like, oh, it's not, it's not going to work out. But you're right. Maybe it's just the timing in which I need to think about these things. I'm, I, one thing I want to be better about is staggering the plant dates. Cause generally when I plant my gardens, like we're just going to plant it. And that's so um, me too. Yeah. And instead of like just staggering things so that they do produce when they're supposed to, I mean, obviously it makes a world of difference. So that is something that I've been thinking about. And again, for me, it's just like planning it, just knowing when I should plant different things and taking the time to dive into that. Um, and also it could be like your grandma's theory about the seeds, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain there's probably like the broccoli that's going to go best in Northwest Montana is probably a different broccoli variety than what's going to yeah, be right, for in sure. Iowa. And that could be it too. Yeah. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. You can find uh, Deer Fence Supplies on DeerBusters.com. We're located in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. We ship nationwide for free. And if you want 10% off, type in the word fences, F-E-N-C-E-S at checkout on DeerBusters.com and save yourself some money while you're getting Deer Fence. Hey, Green Future Growers. Join me on the Listen app. Invite code GREEN, G-R-E-E-N. I would love if you left me a message. You can reach out to other Green Future Growers and other Green Organic Gardener podcast listeners there. We could have a conversation about what's growing in your garden what are you eating does it not feel good to walk by the produce aisle it does for me um and if you're not there yet we'd be happy to help you get there over on the listen app invite code green g-r-e-e-n and now let's get to the root of things well we're already at what i call the getting to the root root of things like an a lightning round so do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like something you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do? Um, one thing I, I mean, I don't think anyone loves to weed and I don't do it enough. I tend to be the person who lets them get too big. And then I'm like, they're easier to pull. <laughs> like, I hate the little weeds. I hate the little weeds, you know, like the never ending keeping up with it. But that, or I would say mulching the garden at the beginning of the season or, or whatever that stuff is just, I'd, I'd like to plan it. I like to see it. I don't like to do the, the maintenance. <laughs> uh, you and I have so much in common. What do you yeah. use for mulch? Do you use like well, straw? That's itchy. That's what I don't like either. You, you use what? Straw that's itchy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, straw and like in the beginning of the season, we'll, um, we do a lot of like compost stuff mm-hmm. um, here cool. and so we'll like we'll add that into the gardens like that stuff and then yeah the straw and between the garden beds we we um put mulch down and that's just tedious to me I totally get it I know it's for the best but I definitely struggle to do that I know I would have more success if I would because I've had a few places this summer where the weeds have overgrown my flowers and my lavender my poor little lavender plants uh so on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden 
I love planting the garden. I think that that, I know a lot of people love the harvest and I do too, but there's just something so fresh about like a new season and throwing things in and being able to watch them grow. I always love planting and trying different things. You know, like my aunt, her, when we did the pumpkin farm, one of the things she did every year was she would try, there would always be one new squash variety. And it was always so fun. Like, I think that's where I got it of like trying one new thing. And it might work and it might not, and it might taste awful or it might be delicious, right? But it was just fun for everyone to be like, oh, what's the new thing this year? And it's just like having just one thing seems realistic to me. And so that's always fun is like asking my kids or like, what's one new thing that you want to try this year? Um, This year they wanted to do Brussels sprouts. Um, I know some people grow them all the time. We just never have. And so that's been fun too. Can't say they're a raking success um, growing wise, but uh, just being able to try one new thing. I just love the planting aspect of that. And there, Brussels sprouts, there's like something about you got to cut the top off at the, yeah. And like, I can't remember when we grew them one year. They're fun because they, they're such a weird looking plant, you know, and you get all these little balls on the sides of them and the leaves sticking out and, uh, yeah, I don't know why we don't grow more Brussels sprouts because I love to eat them and yeah, 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 they are fun. I was going to say something about, uh, something your, your kids might like, like my students, cause I'm a teacher by trade always love. We, um, Patty Armbruster turned us on to, um, um, purple dragon tongue beans. Are oh really yeah. Fun. So if you haven't grown those, okay. um, those will be fun. Maybe I'll send you some seeds if we have some seeds. Yeah. 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 Good try. Uh, the kids, it's so funny. And then like in May, they're like, how come you're not bringing any purple dragon tongue beans anymore? And I'm like, <laughs> um, because they get harvested in the fall. Right. I, I agree. I love playing. I'm curious though. Like, um, I like, like one thing I've learned from my podcast is the big difference between planting seeds directly and like transplanting plants, like mm. transplanting seeds to me just takes so long. I yes, just don't yeah. have the patience, like waiting for the carrots to germinate and then waiting for them to grow. Like, it just seems like I love to transplant things where it's like instant garden. Yeah. Right. I'm supposed to be quiet. So anyway, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received, Alexa? Well, my grandma has always been a gardener and, you know, like they, they, uh, grew and canned their food for winter and all the things. And, um, she, her advice to me was never have a set date of when you plant your garden, but just be patient and let the season tell you. And that can be really frustrating for me because I'm like, nope, on, you know, like they say around here, like after mother's day, you can plant your stuff and it's fine. And, and some years it's like warmer in April and I want to get out there and do it. And she's just like, I just don't think it's time. I just don't think it's time. So hers is always like, just wait and wait and wait until you absolutely know. She's a big believer that the later I start my garden, the better it's going to be. And I have found that to be very successful in her advice of like, sometimes when you think it's almost too late to get it in, those are the best years that I've had. Um, and so I try to like, listen to her of like, just letting the season happen and not being too strict on like, this is the weekend that I'm going to do it, but just letting it come and happen when it's, when the season's ready for it. Yeah. That's so interesting. After mother's day, because Mike, I went through, like, we were writing this book called the organic oasis guidebook. And I went mm-hmm. through and looked through all of our years. Cause I have like journals of like, when yeah. you plan things. And out of 20 something years of planning, I found out that the majority of years, 
Mike planted like the lettuce and the peas and things that can go in the ground right away between April 7th and April 14th. Wow. Like it was just almost every year just happened to fall in that those two weeks. So I'm surprised that you're after Mother's Day. In Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. But we like it just, but it's true. Like there's years where I've planted sunflowers and I feel like even if I plant them in April or I plant them in June, they all bloom the second week in August. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I'll kind of bloom around the same time. The only difference I find with the ones I plant in April is I try to plant them on Earth Day. If I want them to go to seed, if I just want mm-hmm. them for flowers, it doesn't matter. But if I need them to go to seed, they need mm-hmm. to be in the ground that early April. But th- those are great. Um, that's very true. It is very hard to wait. Like some years oh, at the yeah. beginning of March, we're like, oh, we could just, Mike, I can tell he's wants to get out there and start digging in the dirt and get it going but yeah you do in northern montana you can do that that early there have been some years where we've our uh, ground is still like frozen frozen in march oh yeah i don't know um like i said he's putting carrots and stuff in the yeah i mean beginning do you have a greenhouse then too uh, so what he does is he starts things in the living room and then we have like a porch off our kitchen and he'll plastic that in and then open the kitchen door and the kitchen window. So the heat from the house mm-hmm. heats the greenhouse. And he usually does that about the beginning of March. So there's yeah, like a yeah, month yeah. where we have, we go through a lot of firewood. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite tool? Do you have, do you have a tool that you just like, if you had to move and you could only take one tool with you, you couldn't live without? I mean, we grew up just having a good hoe, you know, like just a solid hoe. That's, that's what we did. That's probably like for a garden. That's what I would take. I can dig with my hands, but like to get those weeds, that's, that's it. It's really lame, but. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a ton of garden tools, so. I, you'd be surprised. It's probably the most recommended tool mm-hmm. on my podcast. If I ever yeah. went through and like made a list, I'll bet a hoe is a sharp yeah. hoe. People are always a like, sharp. I want a sharp hoe. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite recipe you like to eat or cook from the garden? Um, I mean, I love fresh salsa because that can utilize so many things, you know, like the fresh herbs and that, but Another one I really like is um, pesto. My family loves pesto and we use like fresh spinach from the garden and basil and like just so many, like it's a spinach, basil, pesto, and it's so good. And you can use it on so many things. Um, That sounds good. Nobody's ever suggested that, like use part spinach and part basil. Yeah. So I use a lot of spinach in it and you can use kale too, like a cross between spinach and kale. And honestly, you can't taste it at all because- you add so much basil that it's just so powerful. Um, so honestly, some of my favorite recipes have to do with using the fresh herbs with the garden stuff. So like a chimichurri sauce, but I'll, the, the one my kids ask for all the time is um, basil pesto, spinach basil pesto. And it's so easy to make. I mean, I just put it in a blender and save it in a mason jar in my refrigerator and they'll put it on their eggs or I'll make sandwich with, with sandwiches with it, or, you know, put it on some chicken breast or whatever. Like there's a million and one ways to use it. I really love that. Well, and if your kids are asking for it, there's nothing better, right? Right. Right. Yeah. What yeah. do you put in your salsa? Cause I really struggle with salsa. Got it. What do you have like a good salsa recipe? So all I do is I take, like we plant some Roma tomatoes and then, um, 
like an onion, usually like a white onion or a red onion. I don't do a lot of red onions in my garden, um, just white ones. I don't know why. And then a little bit of a jalapeno and sometimes some green pepper and what else? Oh, and fresh cilantro. And I literally just put that in a blender. Like, you know, obviously most tomatoes, depending on how spicy you want it, um, a little bit of onion, a, a bunch of fresh cilantro. I throw that in like a food processor, just chop it up. And then I add some lime juice and salt. And that's literally all I add. I think the key is the Roma tomatoes. I talked to Melissa yeah. Norris um, last fall and she, so I planted a bunch of, she was like, it's the San Marzano tomato number five, I think. And so I bought a bunch of those seeds and those plants are huge, but I'm wondering, do I need to cut those back? Cause I don't see a lot of tomatoes on those either. I feel like my Roma tomatoes never produce as many as other tomatoes. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just how they work or, I mean, they're a drier tomato. So you would think that they would produce maybe even more, but. Oh, well, I'm hoping. Is, right. Like it's a drier. It's not like, like a, you know, a beef steak tomato or whatever. Like they tend to be a lot juicier. Yeah. That's like what she says are dry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting nervous because it almost feels like fall already here, August seventh. Mm. Uh, it's cool here too. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to have a frost. I don't think that I have to worry about. Although my husband told me it's going to get down to the forties. We have had a frost on August eighth before. Yeah, that's early. Um, but usually it's about the first week in September. So, but that's why I'm just like I just want more tomatoes a little mm -hmm. bit bigger this year than they are because these plants are just huge, and I feel like I should be like have this huge bounty of potato tomatoes, but maybe that's right. it. Right. What about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Well, you know, I mean, if it's for gardening stuff, it's not generally somewhere that I surf a lot of gardening advice. I don't know. I just tend to listen to my grandma or my aunt, kind of what they say, but I do love to look at um, some websites to see like what kind of seeds are out there. I can't think of the name of one that I'll look at in the spring, but I'm more like, I love to search the web for what are some recipes I can use to cook with this stuff. And so that's what I like to do. Well, how about a good recipe site? Mm -hmm. Um, I like foodiecrush.com. She's really great about using fresh uh, vegetables and fruits that are like, you know, very realistic recipes. Um, so Ooh, that, that's cool. a good one foodie crush i'll have to check that out how about do you have a favorite reading material like a book or a magazine or anything you can recommend um okay well i live in iowa and they have a magazine called our iowa and it's literally all on gardening farming farming you know like hobby farm um stuff and i like that i mean that's probably not something anyone else would order um but then there's also one called like hobby farms we get that too. We live on a little hobby farm. So we have some goats and some chickens and, um, some grass fed cows, like that kind of stuff. So it is fun to like have those magazines. You do tell us about like the goats or the chickens or something. Yeah. So, um, we're getting chickens today. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, so we live close to my parents and my dad has a ton of grass fed cows and um a Clydesdale and a bunch of chickens we have the goats more on our property the goats are honestly one they we have a sand burr problem where we live we live closer to like a river 
And so the goats, we got them initially to like see if they would clean up some of like the 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 weeds. Um, but also 4-H is huge in Iowa. And so my kids are going to show the goats at the fair um, next year. They're not quite old enough, but next year. So the goats are really just for that purpose. We used to have milk goats. Um, when one of my kids was younger, they were very, very sensitive to all kinds of dairy and soy. And so we actually got some milk goats and, and fed her goat's milk and it worked wonders for her. Um, but unfortunately our milk goats were really old and we didn't want to have babies, make them have babies anymore, which is what you have to do to keep getting the milk. And so we retired them and now we have some boar goats. So what's a tip to keeping goats? What? What's a tip to keeping goats or milking goats? I mean, they're so easy. Goats are so easy and they're so friendly. They're like little dogs. Um, I will tell you though, like milking goats, while I love fresh goat's milk, it is nothing like, I think a lot of people think of goat's milk as in like goat's cheese (laughs) and where it's almost a little sour. And that is, that is like not goat's milk at all. It doesn't taste goaty at all. Um, It just is, it's almost very similar to a cow's milk. Um, but milking animals by hand, I, it's just a milking animals in general is a lot of work. Like around here, like a lot of even dairy farms are shutting down. Like it's so much work to milk an animal because you have to do it twice a day. And so it was just a lot. But now that we have meat goats, like boar goats, I mean, they're so easy. They just let them out to graze and they're pretty happy. The kids play with them. They love to jump. We built them like a little, um, like a little jungle gym with old spools and things like that. They love that, but yeah, they're pretty easy. There's, there's no tricks to raising goats because they're so easy. Uh, one of my students has goats, like right in the middle of town. I was like, Oh yeah. You got goats. Like his mom, I just am fascinated. Mm-hmm. And they just keep them in their backyard and they're so cute. Like when we were, you know, doing the online teaching at the end of the year, he would always, like, I'd be like, go get the goats or let's see the goats <laughs> and show the kids the goats. And I was like, I'm just baffled at why they got goats, but, uh, yeah. cool. Well, those are all sorts of interesting things to know. Yeah. Um, well, before I get to my final question, do you want to tell listeners like more about your podcast and just, uh, yeah. you and yeah. So over at Simple Roots Wellness, I think my mission over there is really to make health simple. Like I don't feel like health should be as complicated as we make it or some big box approach. My mission is to teach people how their body works and in the end, what what your body needs to feel energized and healthy. And so it's really less about here's all the requirements I think you should do and more just about like, here's how your body works. Here's some things to pay attention to. And here's some really good ways to feed it and nourish your body. So that's really my mission on the podcast. I'm right now doing a series all on energy um, and why our body thrives off of energy and how it doesn't just come from food. There's a multitude of sources of energy that are actually much better than food. Um, and so we're talking all about energy and that's where you saw the DNA one, probably like how energy affects your DNA and, um, all sorts of things. So yeah. that's kind of what I do over there. It's definitely not necessarily as like the gardening aspect, but it's really just, um, a health focus. That's, I would say a more complete focus of like mind, body, and soul. Not, not just what we consume. That's so interesting. I was just listening to Rob Dial yesterday talking about how 
our bodies are like 97% energy and just um, made yeah. up of all sorts of atoms and just, mm-hmm. it's so interesting the way um, you hear things like that you haven't heard. Like I, I was just fascinated by that. I was like, yeah. of energy, like what other ways can you get a source of what's a source of energy besides food, like exercise? Yeah. So energy so our mind is a lot of times going to determine how much energy we have so like for instance if you're having a bad day or you know like someone says something that's hurtful to you what or you have an argument with someone like automatically you probably can feel that your energy level is going down you might initially feel like a rush of like anger or something like that but generally speaking when we're having like when we're having negative thoughts or what we consider more of like these stress thoughts our energy level is actually going down in fact so let me back up. The law of energy is that it can neither be created nor destroyed. So inside of our body, we actually have an, an infinite amount of energy. And it's in that energy that true healing in life comes. But we can change the energy or we can channel it into either a positive direction or a negative direction based on our thoughts. So a lot of times it's just our thoughts. So while I say that there are things that we can do to give us energy, like moving our body, if that's done in the wrong way or for the wrong reason, that's actually taking energy. But some other things that are actually just energy fillers are like being in the sun and um, earthing. So working in your garden and having your feet on the ground, right? Like those are really, there's so much energy from the earth that is so powerful. Um, that is also really good. Have laughing, um, what I want, like being gra- like gratitude is one of the highest frequencies of energy that we know um, is just being thankful and grateful. Um, so those are some big ones. I said exercise. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many That's other perfect of, of of health. Having great relationships. I mean, all of that stuff can really dramatically affect your energy inside your body. That food totally is a relatively small part, and in fact. I would see that most people actually eat more unhealthy, not because that's necessarily what they do on purpose. It's just simply a means of they've channeled all of their infinite energy into a negative direction. And food is a great place to give your body energy. Um, And so we tend to see that if people are living more in a stress state or in a negative energetic state, they tend to crave more quick energy foods or what we consider negative energy foods like sugar and, you know, just those quick things that we know are quote unquote unhealthy, but they give you a quick rush. But in the end, that just gets channeled in a negative direction. When we move someone into a positive energy space, we see them actually start to crave healthier, more nourishing things because they're no longer looking at food as energy. They're looking at food for its nourishment. Meaning we're not looking for the quick sugar rush but we're looking at food for the nutrient quality that our body is actually needing. Our body does not need energy from food. It's a fantastic place to get it. Our body simply is, was designed to eat food for the nourishment behind it, for the vitamins and minerals and electrolytes. Um, so when we can start to think about that, then I just ask people like, you know, like if you really want to get healthy, what is your energy level? And are there things that you can do to increase your energy level outside of eating it? Um, and in the process of that, if we can increase your energy level, we start to see your drive or your cravings or your need for these unhealthy things decrease, opening up space for you to make better choices naturally without feeling like deprived, starve, you know, restrict all those things. Whew. Wow. <laughs> uh, 
Well, see, that's what, like, because I keep seeing, like, I, I, it really bothers me. Like, it was so easy for me to quit eating chicken and beef and bacon and just, like, and I love the taste of meat. And I quit when I was, like, 13. And I do not have a problem. Like, still today, when I cook my husband turkey, I cook bacon, I'm like, mm, that smells so yeah. good. Like, I could totally dive into it. And yet, I am not even phased in the least by not eating it because I don't want to eat animals. Yeah. But, like... The Pringles potato chips or the, you know, Hostess Twinkies or whatever they are that like I either see at the store, like I can't blame it on my husband. Like I eat way more junk food than he does. Yeah. I'm going to buy it anyway. Like I found like I quit eating ice cream for six weeks. Didn't matter. Didn't lose a pound. Like ended up eating yogurt with granola. Like I'm just going to find like, but like, I just feel like, and anytime I ever lost weight in my life, it was because I was like super happy. And what yeah. it didn't have anything to do with me following some prescription plan, like, or, you know, yeah. diet plan or saying I'm going to run every day or anything. Like maybe I ran more because I was happier, got more exercise, but just like, I just know that the secret to my weight problem is not, I, at least that's what I think I could be yeah. totally wrong. <laughs> no, I, I a hundred percent, but based on what I've seen in the past, Yeah. It Um, really is, is like stored energy. You know, like if, if our body feels like energy is in restriction or it's scarce, meaning that you're living in more of a stress state, because like if our body goes into a stress state, it releases energy to be used. Like most of the time or how we were designed was if we were stressed, it was most likely because there was, there was going to be a lack of energy on the other side, meaning you were trying to run away from a predator or we're truly entering a a phase of life more starvation. Like we needed energy to be released. The problem is our stress levels today are so much higher. Um, and it's with what we would consider, uh, um, stress that doesn't need energy on the backside. So what happens is your body takes that energy and it basically boxes it up, boxes it, boxes it up instead of having this unlimited flow of energy that is literally passing through you which is what we want in a healthy state where you take it in, you know, you, you kind of just constantly let it flow through you. Like, like a kid when they're born, like most kids have an abundance of energy right? Um, and they don't this makes so much sense and to eat a lot. But what we're doing now as adults in a stress state is we're literally boxing that energy up. Well, box energy is essentially just fat formation. Like that's body fat is one of the best forms of stored energy. Um, and it's boxing that up because there's a threat to the body that there might not be enough energy in time of need. So it goes into conservation. So say, for instance, someone just decides to restrict their eating. It might work in the short term because your body has a loss of energy, but your body will always compensate to meet that. And in the end, because of the threat that there wasn't enough energy or because you were telling your body in some perspective that energy was scarce, your body starts storing energy. It's a survival mode. Your body is designed to survive, but we want to push it into thriving mode. So stored energy is simply excess body fat. And no matter how much you push it to an extreme, it will just conserve and hoard more and more and more of it. It's why every single diet fails, right? If it's done in the wrong way. But if we can open up to the concept that energy is truly in abundance um, in our lives and we get out of the scarcity deprivation mindset of like, oh, I have to give up ice cream. This is going to be the answer. Now, I'm not here to say like sugar is good for you, but I'm not also not here to say like, hey, we're supposed to live life. We're supposed to have, we're supposed to have the pleasures of life. And if we can get ourselves to open up to that, generally speaking, 
we see people move more into what's considered more of like this intuitive eating space where you can have the ice cream or you can even think to yourself, I don't even want the ice cream. Right. Like, right. Exactly. It's just like moving. I know. I know that that's there. Yeah. Where food is no longer the, the, when everything else in life is scarce, food will always be your body's answer. It will always be your body's answer because it has a fear of not having enough. If we take away the fear and we recognize where our energy is coming from, and I don't want this to sound woo-woo. It's funny in our world that we can measure energy and abundance of other things outside of our body. But as soon as we talk about energy in our body, we get scared, right? Like think about electricity. That's just energy. <laughs> um, and it seems normal, right? But when it's in our body, it seems like, well, this is weird. Um, this is not like actually not weird at all. It's how our body functions. And like you said, we're, the majority of our bodies are energy. But if we come into the, the scope of like, there's all these things I can do to get energy. You don't need it from food. Like you look at food in a different way and it's not something I can fabricate or tell you exactly how to do other than just say, what would change if you looked at your day and instead of looking at it as restrict to starve, survive essentially, what if you looked at it as what can I do today to fill my body with energy? Could I wake up and read the newspaper in the sunlight? Could I go on a morning hike? Could I get coffee with a friend, you know, could I invite some friends over for dinner or laugh around the dinner table? Or could I go outside and garden, like getting in the dirt and even walking in the dirt can make a huge difference. There's a abundance of energy in our world. If we learn to tap into that, we can open it up. And then food is simply what it was designed for. It's designed to give us the nourishment, but also to give us pleasure and to be enjoyed with other people. And it completely changes the game. Because it's no longer a need that your body like actually has to have to keep you alive. It becomes a, a supporting factor of living. I love that. I always think like eat to train, don't diet and exercise, eat to train. Like when yeah. I'm training for the half marathon, I try to do this half marathon every June. And like, I, it's so much easier for me during that period of time to make healthier choices than it is the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, all right, here's my final question. It's kind of a doozy. I don't know why you didn't get a copy of the questions, but um, anyway, it goes like this. Alexa, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Hmm. Well, I would say living in Iowa, and I don't know if there's any kind of service, but I do work with a lot of local farmers. And I feel like um, one thing I'm really passionate about is buying from the local farmer and not from the big corporation. Um, and I wish, and I feel like life would be so much better if we actually interacted with the people who grew our food instead of just went to a shopping mart. Um, and I think there would be more appreciation and more respect. And I think there is a difference when food that you, that you eat and you recognize. And I think one of the important thing about having a garden is just like, it's made with love. Like, I know that sounds again, cheesy, but there is a different frequency to, to consuming food from the farm than there is from a shopping mart. And it's not to say that we have to get rid of all of that, but you know, I, I do see the farmers and I do see, um, big corporations who are kind of taking over the small farmer and the small farmers no longer able to sustain themselves. And I think here in Iowa, we're making it a bigger passion to, 
to see the local farmer and to um, appreciate them and take their passion seriously and support them. And so I wish that there was more of that. And I know that that's not realistic in a lot of big cities or big areas, but um, and I think even just getting into the art of gardening and, and teaching kids about gardening and fresh fruits and vegetables, I think can ex- excite a passion that helps people to understand what it takes to actually grow something that you consume. Um, so that's kind of my passion. I used to teach a program through our extension office that was called Pick a Better Snack. And I literally went in and taught kids about like, every day we would we would break down a different or new fruit or vegetable and we would learn about the fruit or vegetable and the difference and how it was grown. Um, and then we gave the kids the opportunity to try it. And we had some rules. Um, and I just wanted people to like think that food is not scary. Food is not gross. Food is not, um, but food is like, there, there's a story to it. And that story ends with how it feeds your body. And I, I really have a passion for the story of food. Um, and I have no nonprofit to support that or anything, but it is, and it's something I think about in this health space of when I tell people how their body was designed, it's not an intent. It's an intent for them to appreciate all of life. If that makes sense. That was so eloquently put. And I just love all of that. And I know listeners are going to love that. So tell listeners how to connect with you. Where do they find your podcast and your website and all your, yeah. do you have courses and stuff that you're teaching or a book or anything or? So I have, um, well, you can find all of my information. It's at simplerootswellness.com. Um, and the roots is actually like my passion for farming, right? Like if there's like that backstory there of like, I just really want people to see the root of all this. But Simple Roots Wellness, you can get all of my information there. There's recipes, there's um, health information, the podcast is there. But if you're already on a podcast, you know, device or channel, um, my podcast is called Simple Roots Radio. You can find that there. And that's definitely more like a health, health, mind, body, soul focus over there. Um, and I do have courses. I tend to teach them live, although I do have a few um, specific classes that can help. I have batch cooking guides that takes real food. I'm a huge believer in seasonality. And I feel like there's a huge component. If we just learn to eat seasonally and live seasonally for our body, it would make a world of difference inside our health. And so I have batch cooking guides that are seasonal. So you can get the summer guide. That's less than $10 over at simperitswellness.com. So there are some of those things. I do teach live classes right now. We're right in the middle of it. So another live class probably won't start until like September or October. So anyways, yeah, all of that is at simperitswellness.com. Or I just love to connect with people. My email is literally alexa at simperitswellness.com. And I respond to every single email I get. So I just love to connect with humans. <laughs> Look at me sitting here in the middle of rural Iowa in my basement. I'm like, humans. <laughs> Isn't that the best part of podcasting though? Connect. Yeah. You're going to talk to other people. Me. It's yeah. just, um, I've been loving this job this summer because I feel like I'm back on the pulse of podcasting like mm. I was when I first started and just connecting with so many great people like you and um, other podcasters and I love always talking to my guests and stuff and just sharing. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being such an awesome guest today and sharing all these amazing golden seeds. I'm sure listeners are just like, wow, I didn't know about half of this stuff. Yeah. So, uh, have a great day, I guess. Okay. Well, you too. Thank you so much for having me on. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received or best farming advice you've ever received? Always keep very 
very meticulous records. Um, you may think you're going to remember how long it took something to germinate or how quickly something flowered and fruited or how much you harvested. And you'll say, yeah, I remember that. This. This, this is totally something that I'm going to remember in, you know, four to six months. Um, and that's never the case. Um, you're not going to remember what day it was. You're not going to remember how much. A lot of things you're going to fall by the way. Dave, you'll forget a thing or two. And keeping really meticulous records is a, is a good way um, to plan for the next season. Uh, like I was talking about earlier, um, it all comes down to good planning. Um, it's really, really helped. It's really, really helpful to keep track of what works and what doesn't. Um, like I could not tell you, especially once it gets like super busy in the middle of the season, I couldn't tell you what I was doing on July 15th of last season if I didn't have a notebook to look back to. That's from my interview number 222 with Gabe Siciliano, another rockstar millennial who says his notes are crucial. Don't you want to get a journal? Hey, listeners. Do you have a place to keep track of everything that's going right in your garden and everything that's not quite going the way you thought it was going to and the things that you don't want to forget next February and March? Because I guarantee you, you're going to think, I am never going to forget this. I have done this 20 times this year, and I'm going to make sure I do it right next year. And next March, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, what was that again? By the time you're done harvesting everything and your season is over, there's nothing more important you can do than be taking notes now. Which seeds worked the best? Which areas do you want to change? Where do you want to put your irrigation? Where do you need to get row cover? Like all those little notes that are going through your mind. Like even if you just write in your journal once a week, just go sit in your garden and be like, oh yeah, this or that, or you could keep it with you. But anyway, my point is, hey, do you want to help the Green Organic Gardener podcast? Because I made a beautiful journal. It's got a butterfly on a lilac that I took a picture of so you could have a piece of your garden, our garden, and your garden, a place to keep your notes. It's got, uh, I think, 135 um, pages that are either blank or lined because those are my favorite kind of journals because I like to have the lines to write and the blank pages. And so you can support the show, but most of all, you can have good records. My guests have said frequently that's their favorite tool, most valuable tool, good records. Um so, and it would support the show. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local.